You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All right. In Focus Church. It is so, so good to be with you. Um, I think the next time we just drop the guest label because this truly, truly does feel like family um, for me. Um, and so I just was texting with Pastor Brent this morning, um, which he's wild, by the way. I mean, he's up at like all, like he's, he's in the field. I mean, this is just wild and he loves y'all so much. He's tuning in and he's um, just checking in on you. But if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're gonna camp out today. But it's not in my notes. Uh, I, I know a day like today, you may have, woken up with um, a complexity of feelings, a complexity of feelings. Um, Father's Day, um, it's Juneteenth as well, uh, and I just want to point out something from the text that I think is, is so vital, that um, the story of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation is framed within the context of a good dad, a good father who desires, like this is the, the meta-narrative, the large story of Scripture, who desires to have his family back together. In the context of uh, the, the valleys, the lows of exile and wilderness wandering experiences and, and wondering, is, is anybody out there that cares for me to the high tops of um, all is well and there's joy in my life? Like the entire story of scripture is framed by a good father who loves us. And so I want to read just one quick verse that has brought me incredible comfort. Um, it's in Isaiah 64, verse 8. The prophet Isaiah starts this way, Yet, Lord. Now, that Hebrew word yet, it's super important. What it's talking about is in spite of, regardless of, no matter what the situation might be or, or, or is not, yet, Lord, and, and here's the promise, here's the conclusion, no matter what, yet, Lord, you are our Father. You are our Father. Then he says it this way We are the clay, and you are our potter. We all are the work of your hands. And so today, regardless of your experiences or situations or circumstances, I hope that you would feel the nearness of a good father who loves you. Uh, today we're in uh, Luke chapter 24, but I want to start because it's Father's Day. So I thought, hey, let's start with a little bit of a confession, all right? So here's my confession to all of you. Y'all, I am not a runner for fun, like, I don't like running for fun. Um, here's the other thing I'm not. I'm definitely not a walker for no reason. <laughs> All right? Like, like, these things are antithetical to my existence. Right? I don't want to run for fun. I don't want to walk for no reason. And, and yet, on Mother's Day, typically what my wife will do, which, by the way, she asked me earlier on, she's like, babe, do you have any stories about me? And I just kept my mouth shut. Like, I didn't answer uh, that. She's right here in the front with my entire family. So uh, we've got a good uh, a little story here for you, babe. But what on Mother's Day, typically how I can make my wife super happy is she'll say, hey, let's go on a walk, you know? And I think, okay, great, I'll go on a walk. On Father's Day, the way that she makes me happy is she never asks me to go on a walk on on Father's Day, all right? Now, now here's why walks are so, so interesting. Um, walks, are, walks are interesting because um, I, when I walk out of the door for a walk, I have a destination in mind. 
I have a destination in mind. I know that when I'm on a walk with my wife, my, my destination is typically down the street to a house, back to the house on the opposite side of the street, and I am done with the walk. For Brit, her, her thought of a walk has nothing to do with a destination. It actually has everything to do with affection. You see, while my boundaries of a walk are a destination of point A and point B, for her, the concept of a walk is actually the conversation that takes place in between the locations. It's actually the conversation that takes place in between us. And typically, we'll start talking, and the very first thing is, hey, let's not talk about the kids right now. <laughs> Um, I think it's super fascinating that the opening pages of Genesis, we find that it was actually incredibly routine, this is actually Genesis 3.8, for God to what in Eden? To walk with Adam and Eve. I was doing some studying on that Hebrew word for walk, and, and catch this, the Hebrew word for walk, we're going to switch over. The Hebrew word for walk um, it does not have a destination in mind. It actually has everything to do with a leisurely walk. Why? Because God's intent, as he walked in Eden with Adam and Eve, was not destination, but intimacy. It was not to do something, but to be known to someone namely Adam and Eve. I've got this conviction that scripture has echoes in and of itself. Like there are echoes everywhere inside of scripture. So as we turn to Luke chapter 24, we actually find another walk that's taking place. And this time the walk is really interesting. And, and I, wanna, I wanna point this out. We're gonna start in Luke chapter 24. We're gonna start in verses 13 and 14. It says this, now that same day, Two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing. Now here's the question. Why in the world would these two individuals be on a walk discussing something and then all of a sudden the text says that, that they were arguing? Well Luke 24 starts out with two things that are intention. The first thing is, it was a normal day. It was a normal day. And what are these people doing on this normal day? They're walking. Now, they got to get to Emmaus, which is a little bit of a distance away, about seven miles. And, and here's what's interesting. They didn't wake up that morning and think, hmm, let me call Uber. Huh, I think Lyft would be a great option for us. Which one is cheaper? I know, I do that all the time. I'm like, Uber is this much, Lyft is this much. Which one is cheaper? You see, in the ancient world, the primary means of, of travel was walking. That's what you did. And, and, and it's really interesting because people walked not just to get to a destination, but what naturally happens while you're walking. You cultivate relationships. You talk, right? Now, here's another uh, important thing. This actually just wasn't any day. This was a, a specific day located in space and time and history. And, and here's what happened uh, just a few days before this that is the context of the discussion of their, of their argument, you see, leading up to this day, there was this hope that the Israelites had. And that hope was anchored in a name, and that name was Jesus. You see, Israel had a long history of oppression, 
of living in, in a wilderness experience, of, of longing for hope and rescue and liberation. Like, like Israel knew what it meant to be in a land that was not their own and yet a promise, have a promise to, to be in a land that was their own. And, and they had these ancient stories of this great king named David and during this amazing golden era of a time when David was king and the Israelites were whole and it was this united kingdom and all was well, but it's been a long, long time since any Davidic king sat on any throne in Israel. And after the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians that had just been one nation that oppressed them and ruled over them, over another finally came Rome. And they had this, this story about this man named Jesus. And, and they knew their Hebrew scriptures. They, they knew that there was this promise of a Messiah who would come. And, and the Messiah would heal the blind. And guess what? Jesus was healing blind folks. And, and the scriptures talked about a Messiah who would help the, the, the lame to walk. And, and, and then here's Jesus helping lame people to, to walk. And then to, to top it all off, like the cherry on the top... He even raised somebody from the dead, a dude named Lazarus. And so they go, yes, our hope is in Jesus who must be the Messiah. And yet, just a few days before this, their hope hung with Jesus on a cross. And this is the context of the walk. Things get super complicated because there are these women, which I think is pretty brilliant that the first witnesses to the empty tomb aren't men, but they're actually women. Why? Because all the dudes were in hiding, just so you know. They were in hiding. So the women came to do the important work of the burial ceremony, and they come, and they see this empty tomb, and, and it is wild because they're like, the tomb is empty. And so they go back to the disciples, and, and, they, and they share this witness, this testimony of the, of the empty tomb, and, and everybody's confused because they're like, wait a minute, we saw the body of Jesus hang on the cross. We saw the spear that actually went through the side of his body, and, and out came water and blood, which is an indication that the lung was actually pierced, which is how you know that homeboy was dead. Like, we saw all the evidence that we needed to know of the death of Jesus and yet you're trying to tell me that, that the body ain't there and they're trying to make sense of what is taking place. Uh, and they argue about it. They argue about it. Now, I know you're thinking, Joel, this must be an ancient issue because ain't nobody arguing today. Right, right? If you don't think people are arguing, I just want you to jump into our little minivan at the end of this thing and watch my four children argue over who sits in the middle seat. Right? It's going to be instant. It's going to be instant. Liam, please. Right? I think you're in the back, just so you know. We can bypass this entire thing. All right, now we all argue about different things. So just as a, as a case study, as a quick example, I know there's some arguments over beaches versus mountains. So if you are a beach person, raise your hand. You're like, yes, beaches is for me. If you're a mountains person, raise your hand. Mountains are for me. Here's the tension. I just saw a husband raise his hand and the wife raise his hand for the opposite one. All right? Right? Like, it's always wild. Okay, here's another one. If you're an Apple person, raise your hand. If you're an Apple person. If you're an Androids person, raise your hand. Okay, I see like five of you. There's a group in the back called All the Green Bubbles Unite. If you're an MJ person, raise your hand. You're like, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. That's right. If you're a LeBron person, raise your hand. Any LeBron people? They're always sitting in the back. Hey, quick question for y'all. Who got swept in the series? That's right, that's right, that's right. 
Now, very quickly, this could turn into a passionate debate. You see, these, these two individuals were on this road, and, and they were in a, a passionate debate. And I think that each two, like one of the two, probably represented the person who is overly pessimistic. Overly pessimistic. They're the doomsday kind of person, right? And we all have these friends. There is no bright side to anything. Y'all, the cup isn't just half empty. The cup itself is broken. (laughs) Ain't nothing good going to happen. And for this person, the story of Jesus and the reality of his death on the cross is just further evidence of the hopelessness of their life. Like the author of Ecclesiastes says in the ancient emo song, everything is meaningless. I think the other person is probably the ever-persistent optimist. We all have friends that are like this. It's a little bit annoying, honestly. Everything has a silver lining. There's never reason to worry. Every setback is simply a setup for things to turn around. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but it's not that bad. Like, things have got to get better. It's just a matter of time. They are in this sharp dispute, this sharp disagreement. And then something wild happens. Uh, Verse 15 says, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. That phrase, Jesus himself, is actually a Greek phrase. It's called an adjectival intensive. It's written um, explicitly to draw the emphasis of the fact that Jesus is the one who came near to them. Right? I want to point this out. When does Jesus come near to them? In the midst of their disagreement, in the midst of their dispute, in the midst of the tension of them trying to make sense of what they hoped for from all the things that were lost. These people were not like, yo, Jesus, come and join us. They were caught up in their own reality. Well, what does Jesus do? He takes the active initiative to draw near to them. He goes first. He draws near to them. I think this is so important. I'm going to point out three things that happen when Jesus draws near to us. Three realities of the nearness of Jesus. And here's the first one. His nearness to us is not dependent upon our awareness of him. His nearness to us is not dependent on our awareness of him. This is what the text says, verse 17, or 16. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking, looked discouraged. Verse 18, the one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? And I'm convinced y'all, Jesus has a great sense of humor because verse 19, he goes, what things? (laughs) So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, he was powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Do you hear the words of hope? Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, tension, some of the women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. What this draws our attention to is that you and I live in a society where the running anthem of our life is we got to see it in order to believe it. But in the economy of the kingdom of God, we're actually taught that cultivating belief actually gives us true sight. Imagine this. These two individuals are literally describing the very story of Jesus to who? Jesus. They didn't even know that it was Jesus himself. Uh, I love what one New Testament scholar says about this. He says that the disciples are walking both in a fog of doubt and in the presence of the risen Messiah at the very same time. And and y'all, this isn't just some ancient reality. It is a reality for us today. What is the fog that we are dealing with? What is the fog that our neighbors are dealing with? What is the fog that our society is dealing with? The fog is this. They're facing the reality of life without hope of the resurrection. This is what the people, these two men, that's what they're dealing with. The reality of life without hope of the resurrection. Because if Jesus was dead, hope was dead with Jesus. And yet, unbeknownst to them, they're talking to the very real, alive Jesus. They are in a fog. Now, you may wonder how this could relate to our situation today. Well, I'm convinced there are a lot of people, maybe some of us here in this room or watching online, they're trying to make sense of life without the hope of the resurrection. You see, the other day I came across this interesting uh, interview, uh, an article from uh, the governor. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor, right? Super interesting. In this, in this interview, he was asked about death and heaven and the afterlife. And I want to give a quick summary of what he said. Um, Arnold says, oh, this question reminds me of a previous question. And, and the question I was told was, tell me, governor, what happens to us when we die? Arnold says, I said, nothing. You're six feet under. And anyone that tells you something else is a liar. He continues, he said, I said, uh, we don't know what happens with the soul and all the spiritual stuff that I'm not an expert in, but I know that the body as we see each other now, we will never see each other like that again. Later, Schwarzenegger referred to heaven as a fantasy. And he said it this way, when people talk about it, like saying, I will see them again in heaven, it sounds so good. But the reality is that we won't see each other again after we're gone. That's the sad part. I know people feel uncomfortable with death, but I don't, he said. Y'all want you to know, this interview, this quote, what he's saying, this ideation, is evidence of living in a fog. It's living in a fog. It's living in spite of, without hope of the resurrection. Now here's the interesting thing. You can deny the reality of the resurrected Jesus because you can't see it or understand it. But y'all, you actually may be in a conversation with the reality of the resurrected Jesus and never even be aware of it. Isn't this unbelievable? This is what happened to these two men. They were in a fog, and yet in the midst of their fog, Jesus was actually drawing near to them so that that in their blindness they might see. Some of you are wondering, you're like, well, Joel, it would be so nice if Jesus just drew near to me on the road to Emmaus and my metaphorical Emmaus, whatever that might be. The journey that I'm on is not the journey that I want to be on. 
The situations that I'm dealing with are not the situations and circumstances that I want to be dealing with. I am in this fog. I want to point out something that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this. He talks about the ministry of reconciliation. This is so wild. That the appeal of Christ is being made in and through who? Us. We are ambassadors of Christ. And so you just might be in conversations with people that are on their own road to Emmaus. They're dealing with all kinds of doubt. They're dealing with all kinds of failure. They're trying to figure out how in the world does any of this make sense? And in fact, the way that Jesus draws near to them is by using you to draw near to them. And it's in your conversation with them that they meet and experience the power of the resurrected Christ. And y'all, they don't even know it. This is the power of the nearness of Jesus. He can be near and talking through you. And, and people might not even be aware. Let's keep going. Second Corinthians, or sorry, Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Jesus finally responds after all of this. You know, I think he's like, all right, time to get to some business here. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them all the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Here's the second point. You see, Jesus' nearness, his nearness to us, redefines our understanding of what we know in part compared to what he knows in fullness. When Jesus comes near to us, he redefines our story. He fills in the gaps of what we don't know. And even if we don't know it, we can be assured that he is near to us and he knows it. And if he knows it, it alleviates the pressure for me to have to know it. You see, there was a famous rapper who once said, the more money, the more problems. I have a different kind of philosophy. The more questions, the more answers. Just because your questions are answered, it's just going to result in many more questions. How much more powerful is it to be faithfully walking in stride with the one who knows all and alleviates the pressure of us having to bear a weight we were never intended to bear? A couple of interesting details about this text. It started by saying that, that Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem, right? So this entire conversation takes place in space and time. It means that there are limitations, seven miles. I, I did a, a little bit of research to figure out how long would it take an average human being. When I say average, I think I am the epitome of average right in front of you, okay? The average human being, not you CrossFit people. All of you are already like, I CrossFit three times a day. Good for you. I'm so happy. Like an average human, how long does it take to walk a mile? This is what my research, a.k.a. Google, told me, all right? It said 17 minutes. It takes seven minutes for an average human being to walk a mile. So if we rounded that out and said, okay, over the seven miles, 17 minutes per mile, this would have taken around 119 minutes or less than two hours would this walk have been. Now catch this, what does the text say? That, that now Jesus, beginning with Moses and going throughout all of the prophets, begins to teach them how the scriptures actually testify to himself. And what is the context? The context of his suffering. 
You see, Jesus redefines what they know in part by what they need to know in fullness because he is the key to understanding the text. This is uh, what he says when he says Moses. We understand Moses to have written the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When he says the prophets, the, uh, from Joshua all the way through Malachi are referring to the prophets. This is pretty amazing. That in less than two hours, Jesus deals with the entire Hebrew text and pulls out the highlight reels to inform them how all of the prophecies and, and the stories and the anticipations of the Messiah are framed, catch this, not first and foremost in victory, but actually suffering. In fact, this is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, that the means to victory is through the path of suffering. Jesus doesn't just need to go to the cross. One of the most important propositions of the Bible is through. Jesus has to go through the cross in order to secure union and restoration and reconciliation and liberation for the people of God. What Jesus fills in all these gaps for these two men is the unity of Scripture. All the prophets have spoken, and they all spoke and had the exact same voice. Y'all, the central message of the scriptures is Jesus himself. He's the master key of all of the scriptures. Why is this so important? I think it's fascinating that when Jesus enters into the conversation, these two dudes are in a debate, a confusion of their words. They can't make sense of the moment that they are living in. What Jesus does to bring clarity to their confusion is to remind them of the authority and the assurance of Scripture only when they can see that He is the main point. In a sense, what Jesus does is He says, You have looked at all the Scriptures trying to see yourself in them. And yet the only way that you can actually see yourself in them is when you first see me in them. Let's keep going. Luke 24, 28 through 32. I mean, imagine having this master class with Jesus on this epic walk. And it says this, that they came near the village where they were going. And he gave them the impression that he was going further. Uh, in other words, in Joel's translation, Jesus is about to bounce. He's like, I've done my work. I'm about to go. Verse 29 says this, but, but they urged them, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Look at the details of scripture. They're so important for us. Verse 30, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Does anybody hear any echoes of scripture? Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. And they sat there looking at each other saying, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Here's point three. The nearness of Jesus makes us fully alive. The nearness of Jesus makes us fully alive. I think what's so fascinating about Luke 24 is Luke 24 starts in the normalcy of a day and ends in the normalcy of a day. It starts with something as normal as a walk and it ends in something as normal as dinner time. And everything that happens in between matters. 
You see, I think it was vital for these men to actually come to the awareness of Jesus in the moment that he broke that bread. Why? Because I think it was like a tsunami of memories as they remembered the cross. And when they realized, actually, hope was not hung on the cross. Hope was assured for us on the cross. The body did not stay hanging on a cross or laying in an empty tomb. The body is actually alive. And guess what? We've been on a walk with Jesus for the last two hours. And now we're sitting and having dinner with the risen Christ. All in the normalcy of a walk and a dinner. I think this points to the importance of the everyday reality of our lives. It points to how God can and does often work within the midst of a normal meal or a normal walk. You see, what the disciples actually acknowledge is that the beginning of their awareness didn't happen at the moment where the bread broke. The culmination of their awareness took place there. The beginning of their awareness actually took place on that walk as Jesus spoke the truth of scriptures to their ears. What does Luke 24 teach us? The belief is about both hearing and seeing. They heard the words of God and then they saw God himself incarnate break bread so their eyes could be opened. In Luke 24, 25, uh, Jesus refers to these two men as having slow hearts. And then in Luke 24, 32, because of Jesus' nearness, the slow hearts turn into hearts that become alive and burning. And y'all, this happened on a normal walk. A normal walk. A normal walk, and then Jesus drew near. It was a normal walk that Jesus restored hope. It was on a normal walk that Jesus gave these two men eyes to see what was initially hidden in the unseen realm of God's cosmic plan for humanity. And this seems to be the pattern of Jesus with humanity. He draws near to us in the everyday of our life. Some of us are pleading and begging with God to do the miraculous. We are looking and we are waiting and we want him to do the Mount Sinai moment and, and we want him to do something extravagant and we're looking in all these places and, and yet Jesus is drawing near to you not in the miraculous moments but in the everyday mundane normal moments of life. Like Jesus is drawn near to you while you're in the carpool line with your wild and, and crazy kids trying to drop them off like Jesus is next to you. Jesus is, is near you. He's drawing near to you when you're working at, at, at remote work or in the office work and you're trying to figure out how do I make sense of the complexity of my job. Like Jesus is drawing near to you. Jesus is ever drawing near to you in the everyday reality of life. And, and here's what I love. What starts out as a journey for these two men of despair ends up being a journey of joy. And all of this took place on a simple walk. Today, you may be on a similar walk. You may have had all kinds of skepticism about Jesus. You may have had mistrust about Jesus. You may have found yourself without hope. But friend, I want to lovingly point you to the truth that Jesus has drawn near to you. In fact, he is drawing near to you. He is walking alongside of you on your journey. Jesus drew near to them. Jesus revealed himself to them. Jesus rejuvenated them. 
And today, Jesus is drawing near to you. Jesus is revealing himself to you through his word. Jesus promises to rejuvenate you through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing hope that Jesus draws near to us. And more often than not, it's in just an average everyday moment, maybe like a walk. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the assurance of scripture. Thank you that you point out to us that your presence is not conditioned by our awareness. That if we want to know the full story, we've got to first know you. And God, that if we want to be fully alive and experience joy in the midst of the chaos, we need your nearness to us. So we trust you, Jesus, and we ask that you would make yourself known to us on this walk of life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch. Church.